Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ubaldi Report. Now, the last two weeks, we've heard um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump discuss economic and foreign policy issues, and most notably Donald Trump laying out his extensive foreign policy um, plan yesterday. But also Hillary Clinton discussed economics um, and what she would do to revive the U.S. economy. Now, and she discussed this last week. Now, both of them go back, and like I said in a, a recent article, this campaign is less on ideas, but more on how can they destroy the um, the other uh, opponent. Now, last week, Hillary Clinton discussed economic policies, and she really said how her policies would do everything we could to jumpstart the economy. She discussed income inequality and some of the challenges that are faced by small businesses. But she left her economic plans very vague and not really detailed. And the one thing she hadn't said, now what she said would have played well in 2008, especially after the financial collapse and the financial meltdown. But she didn't talk about some of the policies that she wants to do is just a replication of what Barack Obama's doing and the fact that the Democrats have controlled the White House, meaning they control the U.S. economy for the past eight years. Now, the first thing that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump agree on is trade. Both of them are against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, NAFTA, and other trade agreements putting American workers at, at risk. But the one thing that's interesting is Hillary Clinton, when she was Secretary of State, she, oppo- she supported the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And in 2012, she called it the gold standard of trade agreement. Now she opposes it. So the question that needs to be asked, would she support this with incremental changes or would she scrap this trade deal? Now, she stated, I will stop any trade deal that kills jobs or hold down wages, including the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I oppose it now and I'll oppose it after the election and I'll oppose it as oppose it as president. But again, will she make minor changes or ditch the entire deal? And how will this impact the other countries who had to make the tough political choice of supporting this among their domestic constituencies? So if we scrap it after all their um, countries or all our allies in the region supported it, how would that, what will that do to the U.S. economy and what would that do moving forward when would they trust us to go forward with any other kind of trade agreement, if at all? Now, Hillary Clinton talks about health care, and she wants to expand Obamacare. But right now, when the new enrollment period starts November 1st, everybody's going to see an extreme sharp increase in their deductibles and premiums because almost all of the health care providers are pulling out of the Obamacare um, system. And the big reason is the numbers just don't add up. Now, the president talks about we... They have record number of people signing up for health care, which is true. But the question is, are these people able to afford their health care premiums? Because you may have health care, but you can't afford the deductibles and everything that goes along with it. So these are some of the questions that need to be asked. And the one thing, again, the president touts, here's all the people that signed up. But what's the demographics of those individuals? Meaning because the whole health care law was predicated on the young and the healthy signing up to take care of and pay for the, the sick and the, the elderly. So more people who need health care, who have a serious illness, are being covered 
but someone else is paying for that. And the average middle class Americans will not see their health care premiums go down. They will not be able to keep their doctor or keep their plan. And this was touted by the president throughout his first term and into his second term. So let's be interesting. How would she expand it? And the question is, how would she expand Obamacare and get that through a very partisan um, Congress? Even if the Democrats do control or regain control of the Senate, they will not have the 60-vote threshold that Barack Obama enjoyed in his first two years. So how would this, what would her plans be? And we just don't know. Now, when it comes to taxes, Hillary Clinton wants to increase taxes on the wealthy. And I know it's the same standard where we keep hearing, make the wealthy pay their fair share. But how would this help the economy when the taxes that were raised, we're now back at the pre-Bush tax cut, back to 2000 taxes. Taxes have been raised by the billions. More money is parked overseas. That money is not coming back. And if you want to raise the, the marginal corporate rate from 39, 35 to 39% up to almost 50, how would that help the economy? Now, she keeps relating the same themes that Barack Obama has done, and we still have a very anemic recovery. It's the weakest recovery since the Great Depression. And President Obama will not be, well, excuse me, will be the first president in U.S. history never to have over 3% growth. So how would she change that trajectory? And we're not going to be even close to 2% growth for this year. So it'll be interesting to see how she, what goes on from there. Then when you go into infrastructure spending, she mentions $275 billion to be spent on infrastructure, green jobs and higher taxes. And we talked about the higher taxes, the green jobs and infrastructure spending. Both parties and every experts around in our country have stated we need to invest in our infrastructure. But how is $275 billion on infrastructure going to jumpstart the economy when in 2009 we spent well over $800 billion? And as the president talked about, there were shovel-ready jobs that weren't as shovel-ready as he stated. And then in 2012, he kind of laughed it off. Well, they really, really weren't shovel-ready as we thought. So how are these things going to impact the economy? And how would... What infrastructure are we going to spend? I mean, we don't even know where that money went, the first eight, over $800 billion. Where did that money go? So these things need to be looked into. Now, there are some things missing in her economic plan. Entitlement spending. All the experts attributed, even the Congressional Budget Office had stated that um, starting next year, the and I know the president keeps touting that deficits come down. Well, next year it's going right back up. And a lot of it has to do with Entitlement spending, that's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, interest on the debt, and now the um, health care mandate or the Affordable Care Act. So how is she going to rein in um, the debt, which is not over $19.5 going to be $20 trillion by the time the president leaves office, and entitlement spending is a, takes up 60% or two-thirds of the U.S. federal budget. So how is she going to fix that? And and we're all getting to Donald Trump, but for right now, how is she going to fix that? How is she going to talk about that? When they, the president didn't want to discuss it, she's not discussing it. So we need to know these things. And I'll get into Donald Trump. He doesn't want to discuss it either. Urban centers, we're seeing the rash violence in Baltimore, Detroit, and now in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, and some other cities. So how would she fix urban decay? Now, what people need to understand all these cities are controlled by Democrats. 
and have been for decades. Now, I just looked up today um, the, the city city of, of Milwaukee. That has been controlled by the Democratic Party since 1916 when they elected the last Republican mayor. So how would she fix these schools? I mean, Sheriff Clark of um, I think it was Milwaukee County responding to the police shooting of of an African-American youth who had a gun and pointed at him. So he was killed and he had said a lot of the problems go back to the urban decay, lack of uh, proper schools and all the other thing goes with it. So how would her plan fix some of these urban centers we're not even talking about small businesses? How would her plan jumpstart small businesses when like the Brookings Institute in May of 2015, a progressive think tank said more small businesses are leaving the economy. So then coming in. So we have more small businesses leaving the economy. That's 60% of all jobs are by small businesses with 50 employees or left. So how are we going to jumpstart that? And what would she do differently than President Obama? Let's go to manufacturing. We keep hearing manufacturing jobs are being sent overseas. Statistics prove otherwise. But most manufacturers, they do ship their jobs overseas. Because it's cheaper, cheaper labor. I got that. But the one thing that Hillary Clinton hasn't discussed, the business climate where most manufacturers are located in the Rust Belt states are also listed as one of the worst places to start a business. And this goes back to small businesses. If Microsoft or Facebook or any of the big tech companies or Google would not be able to set up shop today because of the erroneous, very burdensome uh, rules to start a business. So how would she alleviate that? This all goes into the economic viability of the country because small businesses have always been the backbone of this country. Now as we morph into foreign policy because a strong economy means a strong America can can be the leadership leader abroad is foreign policy. She hasn't really discussed what she would do differently in the Middle East, Russia, or dealing with China and our allies than President Obama has done. Now, remember, she was Secretary of State for the first four years. So all these problems around the world, she had her hand in, and she was in lockstep with the president. Now, the Middle East has always been um, a cauldron for all American presidents. Every American president has struggled to fix what's going on in the Middle East. And Hillary Clinton talks about, we're going to defeat ISIS. The question is, what replaces ISIS? Now, Anthony Cortison from the Center for Strategic International Studies talked about these problems in a, an article he wrote. And basically, he was saying is all the candidates, both Trump and Clinton, talk about this is that, but they don't see, they're misreading the situation on the ground. We've got basically five wars going on throughout the Middle East region. We've got Afghanistan, Yemen, you got Iraq, Syria. And you've got Libya and the instability in some of these other outlying countries. So what's our plan for these countries? We defeat ISIS, but what about what replaces ISIS? Does the al-Nusra Front, which is an al-Qaeda-based group, move in? What about Syria? President Obama said in 2011, Assad must go. He's still there. They're still using chemical weapons. There have been reports so far they're using chemical um, chlorine-based bombs. I thought this was supposed to be taken care of in the 2013 issue. What about Russia? Russia is heavily involved in the Middle East now for the first time in 40 years. They're bombing Syrian rebels, which we support, and they're being decimated. They're even flying bombing missions from Iran. 
So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the Tur- Turkey? They have their own different interests, and they don't want the Kurds to, to establish a homeland. So what's our in- what would she do differently, and how would she engage the, our allies? What would she do with Russia? Russia right now looks like they're going to be going into the Ukraine. What would, how would a Hillary Clinton stop that? And what would about uh, Russia in the Crimea? What about um, all this plays a factor with China? How would she do something different? So all these things need to be asked, and they're just not being asked. So we're going to elect a president that we really don't know what they're going to do. All they do is attack each other, and the media needs to focus on the substance of this campaign is these core issues, the foreign affairs, what's their global vision, and what's their vision for economic issues, and really dial down on some of these policies. Now now we're getting to Donald Trump. Now he again last week talked about his economic plans, and a lot of it is to reduce taxes. You know, everybody focuses on we need to reform the tax code, but he hasn't gotten more specific than a, a couple of the um, – the percentage of tax codes, what he would do. He didn't talk about what he would eliminate in the tax code. But his big thing of economics is the pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, NAFTA to be renegotiated, and tariff on countries that cheat. Now, the question I would bring up to Mr. Trump is, what would the other countries in the Trans-Pacific Partnership do? How does this strengthen China? Because China was not part of TTP. This was a way, to, or TPP, this was a way to push back on China with all these countries coming together. And it's huge. Countries in Latin America, countries throughout the Pacific Rim, Japan, Vietnam, all being part of that. Now, if you want to make changes, okay, what changes would you make? But he wants to pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. What part of NAFTA do you want it to be renegotiated? How would Mexico and Canada respond to this? And what tariffs... Would you place on countries that cheat? What countries, in your mind, cheat regarding international trade? Now, one only has to remember the Smoot-Howley Tariff Act passed in June of 1930. Many economists believe this was in the, the, the months after the collapse of the stock market that really curtailed trade coming in from other countries. We put high tariffs. They follow suit. This exacerbated and deepened the Great Depression. And only World War II got us out. So we have to be very, very careful on this. Now, as I said earlier, both Clinton and Trump agree on infrastructure spending. Trump is less specific on how he would do it. He did say he wants to spend about $500 billion more on infrastructure, nearly double what Clinton wants to spend, because interest, he says interest rates are low right now, and he has said it's a great time to borrow. Now, that puts him at odds with many Republicans who want to bring down the debt. But the question is, interest rates aren't going to be as low. They can't stay this low this long. It's been near zero since basically 2008 with only one being raised once, and that was in um, um, December of last year. So if he wants to spend $500 billion, where is he getting all this money from? You're going to cut taxes. He didn't mention, I know he talks about we got to fix government spending, but where? What would you cut? What would you do differently than is currently being done? Because we can't keep going, you know, putting the charge card out. We're at $19.5 trillion debt. How would you fix these things? Now, on manufacturing, he really talks tough on trade. He goes, manufacturing has been the Achilles heel of the United States. A lot of jobs going overseas. I don't think he understands that manufacturing has really 
gone up a little bit, and there's, there's statistics that prove that. But when he talks tough on trade, it plays to the base. It plays to the Rust Belt states. But what he hasn't mentioned, just like Hillary Clinton hasn't mentioned, that a lot of those states that he's talking about are the worst states to run a business in. And he, again, says nothing about small business. Now, Donald Trump has run a corporation. Corporations are different than small business. Small businesses are middle-class Americans. So how would he do something different? What would he do differently to jumpstart the economy? Now, he talks about Obamacare that we're going to repeal and replace. Repeal it how? Because you're not going to have the threshold that Barack Obama enjoyed again in the Congress if he gets elected. So how would he repeal it? And what? how many Democrats would need to come over to do that? And then once he repeals it, what would he replace it with? And he hasn't been specific on that. And again, the strength of America has always been its economy. And that plays well as when we go into foreign policy. Now, uh, Donald Trump gave a foreign policy address yesterday. And it was a little different. It was more on a teleprompter speech. He wasn't had his fiery rhetoric out like he normally does. So he was more, a little more laid back, a little more low-keyed as he gave this speech. But he backtracked on many of his earlier statements like banning all Muslims or pulling out of NATO if they don't pay their fair share and other issues. But he did talk about the Middle East. But the problem with Donald Trump's foreign policy is he looks at it only one-dimensionally. He didn't talk about Syria, Turkey, Russia, Yemen, the Gulf states, or Libya. He complained how it was worse off now than when Barack Obama took office. And he talks about how we're going to defeat you know, ISIS and everything. But he needs to understand that all these countries, Syria, what are we going to do about Assad? If we get rid of ISIS in Syria, what about the al-Nusra front? What about Iraq? Iraq has a Shia-dominated government. Mainly, they're the um, being backed by the Iranians. They're like a puppet state to Iran because we pulled out prematurely. How once they defeat ISIS in Iraq, which they have in Moles, excuse me, in Ramadi and Fallujah, but these were all done by Shiite militias and the Iraqi army, which is Shiite dominated. What happens to ISIS, a Sunni, a, um, Sunni terror group? Then what? So there's still too many unanswered questions. And each of these wars, Syria, Iraq, um, Afghanistan hasn't even been discussed. Yemen, Libya, all have different issues and different problems to deal with. And some are linked, but a lot of them, they're not linked. How would he deal with that? His visa program, what would he do differently? How would he screen? What He talks about they have to meet American values. Okay, what are those, what are those values to him? How would he get things done? Then NATO. This is going to, um, he was asked this question back in July when he met with David Sanger, who's a military correspondent with the New York Times, and Maggie Haberman, and she's also a political correspondent for the New York Times to discuss foreign policies. And he mentioned, you know, NATO not, they asked him a series of questions, NATO not paying their bills, what would he do? But the one thing they did ask is, what would you do? If Russia decided or was attempting to go into the Baltic states, that's Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. All three of them are NATO countries. And in the NATO charter, it states an attack on one is an attack on all. Now, President Obama had stated the defense of Tallinn, Riga, 
in Vilnius is just as important as the defense of Berlin and Paris and London. Article 5 of the NATO Treaty is crystal clear. An attack on one is an attack on all. So if in such a moment you are ever asked again who will come to help, you'll know the answer. The NATO alliance, including the armed forces of the United States of America, right here, present now. The question is, Obama puts another line in the sand. Does Putin believe he's going to do that? I would say no, because he's seen past... um, through history of his administration. He says something, it doesn't follow up. Now, Trump has been ambiguous about the Baltic states, which are members of NATO. He kind of made a comment, well, if they do their fair share, and he leaves it very ambiguous what he would do if Russia decides to push on those Baltic states. Now, in the past, and I'll have to go back to 1990, excuse me, 1990. Now, in July 1990, Saddam Hussein massed his troops on the Iraq border with Kuwait, and he issued a a numerous series of bellicose statements. Now, U.S. Ambassador April Gillespie, she met with Saddam Hussein and and asked him about his intentions, what he was going to do with Kuwait. And he said, all I want to do is control the the Shat al-Arab waterway. This is the place where they launched the um, Iran-Iraq war from. But was willing for a time to pursue other negotiations with Kuwait. Now, Gillespie responded, we have no opinion on your Arab Arab conflicts, such as your dispute with Kuwait. Now, Secretary of James Baker at the time, this is during the Bush senior administration, has directed me to emphasize the instruction first given to Iraq in the 1960s that the, the Kuwait issue is not associated with America. Quite a problem with that. Within days, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait because he didn't think America was going to do anything. Now you push back 40 years or back to the beginning of the Korean War. Some 40 years earlier from 1990, a comparable event took place on January 12, 1950. Then Secretary of State Dean Atkinson in the Truman administration spoke at the National Press Club and defined the American defensive perimeter in the Pacific as a line running through Japan, the Roikas Island and um, where Okinawa is, the Philippines, Noticeably omitted was any reference to South Korea, which the United States had earlier pledged to protect. What happened? Six months later, North Korean armed forces crossed the 38th parallel and invaded South Korea, which lasted a a grueling three-year war, left over 5 million soldiers dead, including well over 40,000 U.S. service personnel. So the question is, what is, what would Donald Trump do as president? You do these ambiguous statements, it lets our adversaries know that the United States isn't committed and they can make decisions. And we've seen things happen in the past. If you don't remember history, you're going to be doomed to repeat it. So the question is, this is the time the media needs to challenge these candidates. I don't care, and I understand you may support one or the other, but you need to challenge these candidates on their policy announcement and really dial in and get specific Because if we don't, one of these candidates is going to be the president of the United States, and we're not going to know what they do, what they believe in, and what their core values are for the United States domestically and in the international arena. So if we don't, we're going to pay a price for the next four years. Now, if you get a chance, continue to listen to Ubali reports. Let me know what you think, and I'll try to research any topic that you wanted me to discuss you can go to iTunes, Stitcher, sign up for free. You can go to my website, Ubaldi Reports. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, 
Let me know what you think, and I'll research as much as I can, or I'll get an expert. We can have them on my um, my podcast. If you also get a chance, go to Amazon or any of the major book manufacturers and get my book, The New Business Brigade, Why Businesses Need to Hire Veterans and the Untapped Resource They Represent. And again, keep listening to Ubali Reports, because if we don't take part in our government and challenge our leaders, we're going to get the government we don't want. And that'll be a detriment to this country. So keep continue listening to Ubali Reports. Let your friends and family know about Ubali Reports. And keep listening. Have a great day.